Tech, cars, machines. Subscribe here or at techcarsmachines.com and gtkpartners.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this episode of Tech Cars Machines and Happy New Year 2024. I hope it turns out to be the best year of our lives so far. If you've been living a life worth living, you've been listening to our recent episodes where you've heard executives from some great companies talk about their plans for climate-friendly offerings. You heard from Volvo, Daimler, Trayton, and Cummins Engine talk about their plans in trucking, and you heard from Universal Hydrogen talk about their plans in aviation. What you heard in those episodes was a fair bit of discussion about hydrogen as an energy source, as compared to diesel, jet fuel, or electricity stored in batteries. In this episode, I'd like to pull on the hydrogen transportation thread a bit more. What are the benefits, what are the issues, and how can a very cool unrelated use of hydrogen benefit its use in transportation? Why is this subject relevant? Transportation driven by the energy stored in batteries, battery electric vehicles, BEVs, or even just EVs have become commonplace in personal transportation in recent years. However, I find that too many people assume that battery-based solutions are a suitable near-term solution for nearly all applications. Insiders in the transportation and industrial worlds don't make this assumption at all. For vehicles and equipment such as freight trucks, mining equipment, agricultural equipment, and ships, plenty of insiders believe that tanks of hydrogen as a source of energy will be required, especially for heavy-duty or long-haul work. In some cases, these hydrogen-fueled vehicles will convert hydrogen energy to electricity in a device called a fuel cell, and then use this electricity to run the same powertrain you'd have in an electric vehicle. In other concepts, the hydrogen is ignited and burned in a combustion engine, much like today's combustion vehicles. Whichever method is used, a key driver of success for hydrogen in transportation is how and at what cost you produce, transport, and deliver the hydrogen. For hydrogen fuel transportation, of course, you first need to produce the hydrogen, often by breaking down H2O, better known under its trade name, water. Electricity is often used to break down this water, so the sustainability of hydrogen production and part of its cost depends on how that electricity is produced. Second, hydrogen is a very light gas, the lightest in the universe, in fact. So to be stored or transported, it needs to be kept under very high pressure adding a lot of complexity and cost. Third, and finally, you need to have a distribution network so that a truck fleet or other user can refuel where needed. The problem with all of this is that we have neither the chicken nor the egg. In other words, there's no prevalence of green hydrogen production, no delivery infrastructure, and few vehicles running on hydrogen. I have yet to hear anyone confident that a soup-to-nuts, build-it-and-they-will-come approach for hydrogen is economically viable. It all depends on heavy government subsidies, and that's the approach we're taking today. That's why plenty of people view the economic case for hydrogen in transportation over the long term as quite challenging. However, in my humble opinion, this pessimism ignores that plenty of the things we use today wouldn't have come about if, back in the day, the offering and its ecosystem had to be justified and built simultaneously. It's often solutions developed for an old, pressing issue that are repurposed, with marginal cost, to solve a very different problem. Here's a fun bit of history to demonstrate the point. The smartphones we're all addicted to today aren't much used without their data plans. Today, cell phone data networks almost incidentally also carry simple voice calls. But that simple voice call was the only justification needed 
In fact, it was the foundational application for multi-decade expensive consolidation of towers, equipment, and frequencies to enable voice-only cell phone service to come into being around 1980. It took another decade for very rudimentary data plans to be offered. Even another 10 years after that, BlackBerry built its own network to support text-only email service on its devices. To extend the example, the success of even those simple voice networks depended in meaningful part on another foundational application for nationwide connectivity, railroads. The railroad networks had the rights of way that allowed lines and towers for telegraph, telephone, and eventually wireless networks and fiber optic cables to span the continent. For example, Sprint, now merged with T-Mobile, stands for Southern Pacific Railroad Internal Network Telecommunications, a mouthful, that's why it was shortened to Sprint. Sprint also had a fiber optic network, and other fiber optic offshoots of railroads include Level 3 Communications, MCI, and Quest, each which was worth tens of billions in its time. You'll find these old businesses inside the modern entities Verizon and Lumen Technologies. So. Is there an old app that can help pay for the new app of hydrogen transportation? I have a candidate for this old application, and it comes from the electric utility industry. In particular, I'm going to give you a podcast tour of the ACES Delta Hub. ACES stands for Advanced Clean Energy Storage, and the ACES Delta Hub is based in Delta, Utah. It's an extremely large-scale project that uses hydrogen to time-shift electric energy for months at a time. Hundreds of millions have been committed to this project, including a roughly $500 million loan from the U.S. Department of Energy. Rapid progress for the project resulted in Chevron acquiring a minority stake in the program after first turning down the opportunity for involvement. Now, why would a utility need to time shift electric energy anyway? And why bother with using hydrogen? A bit of fun history. In 1909, an electric power authority in Switzerland began operating the first, quote, pumped storage facility, unquote, for storing electric energy. Based in Schaffhausen, north of Zurich and close to the German border, the point of this facility was to use electricity during periods of low demand to pump water into a reservoir at altitude. When electricity was in higher demand, the water would tumble down the storage reservoir and spin turbines to generate power. Hence the name pumped storage. And this approach has been copied hundreds of times subsequently, allowing utilities to avoid having to build enough generating capacity to meet peak demand. Sometimes the utility needs to time shift electricity for a few hours and sometimes across seasons. Doing this is much easier said than done and has bedeviled power companies for over a hundred years. The elegance of the solutions depends quite a bit on the availability of mechanisms for storing electricity, none of which are very satisfactory. Pumped storage takes a lot of land, as you can imagine, and doesn't work well in flat areas, and lithium battery solutions are small-scale and best used for storing electricity for days rather than months. So let's see how the ACES Delta Hub solves this issue. Excess renewable power, for example from solar panels in Southern California, will be transmitted to Delta, Utah, about 130 miles southwest of Salt Lake City. There, the electricity is used to break down water to produce hydrogen. Weeks or months later, the hydrogen is burned in a carbon-free process to boil water, turn a turbine, and create electricity, just like a fossil-fueled power station. And the scale is massive. For example, the world's largest battery storage facilities are pushing 3 gigawatts of capacity, 
There's one in Moss Landing, California, and a similar one in a Florida utility. The ACES program is targeting 300 gigawatts of storage, or 100 times larger. Its initial capacity could be enough to supply seasonal storage that would allow utilities across the entire western United States to decarbonize by 2035. The facility is designed to convert over 220 megawatts of renewable energy to produce up to about 100 metric tons of green hydrogen daily. This is worth a few hundred million dollars annually at typical prices and a lot more when peak demand of energy is required. By the way, 220 megawatts of energy, in rough numbers, is about the capacity of a one and a half square mile solar farm and could, by my calculation, fuel about 150 of the largest semi-trucks every day with hydrogen. But what enables this scale? A key ACES innovation is to use the natural geology of central Utah to provide the otherwise complex and expensive containment structures required for compressed hydrogen. It turns out that the area close to Delta, Utah, sits on top of a giant underground slab of salt. Three features of salt are helpful in the cause of hydrogen storage. First, salt is an excellent sealant, as anyone who has cooked fish in a salt crust knows. Salt lets very little moisture through, a talent that it has that extends to small hydrogen molecules, and this last bit of geologic talent is hard to find. Second, salt structures are stable, allowing for large caverns to be shaped on the order of 1,200 feet high for the ACES Delta program. Third, these caverns can be shaped by dissolving the salt with water, a reasonably environmentally benign process. The water from making the caverns, as well as the water from which the hydrogen will be produced, comes from the agricultural allocation for the area. By the way, as another example of the scale of this project, the machines that use electricity to separate hydrogen from water, called electrolyzers, are the world's largest. They're manufactured by the Norwegian company Hydrogen Pro. Mitsubishi Power Americas, based in Florida, is providing most of the major equipment for the hub and is a joint venture partner in the program. The program's full benefits will take until about 2045 to secure, by which time the program may have expanded. However, the confidence in the program is such that in September of 2023, only about four years after conception and one and a half years after the Department of Energy involvement, oil and gas company Chevron, which deservedly has a reputation of leadership in transitioning to sustainable energy, acquired a majority stake in the venture. I find this massive hydrogen project fascinating because it has nothing to do with transportation or industrial applications. Yes, there are subsidies involved, it will take time, and key pieces of equipment have to be retrofitted. However, notice how a handful of entities working together at a single location can achieve a large-scale working solution. Renewable electricity is being generated at existing facilities around the West Coast, transmitted over existing lines to an existing power generation location, which is what Delta, Utah has been, and even the cavern storage solutions have been around for decades mainly in the oil and gas field. These kinds of hydrogen applications seem much easier and more justifiable to implement than the vast ecosystem of changes that need to take place for hydrogen-based transport. For example, Delta Utah sits about 40 minutes from Interstate 15, a major feeder highway for Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Take I-15 North, and in about 90 minutes, you'll reach Interstate 80, which will take you to Silicon Valley through Reno, Nevada, a major logistics hub for Northern California. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine expanding the ACES Delta hub at incremental cost and effort to serve as somewhat of a refinery 
that can serve hydrogen fueling stations along two critical interstate highways. Just like the railroads eventually help bring your cell phone or wireless data connection, programs like ACES Delta may enable hydrogen-based transportation far more naturally than current attempts to lay down production, distribution, and vehicle technologies simultaneously. I hope you've enjoyed this description of the fascinating ACES Delta hub and the couple of historical detours we took. I originally thought this episode would be a short quick drop, but there are so many fascinating things that I came across about this project that I hope to get some of the program principles to have a conversation with us in the coming months. For now, I'm off to the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, next week in Las Vegas, and look forward to sharing a few resulting episodes on autonomy and general observations with you. Stay well. Tech. Cars. Machines. Subscribe here or at techcarsmachines.com and gtkpartners.com.